Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, very thankful to have my friend and doctoral supervisor, Douglas Sweeney. Doug is a distinguished professor of church history and the history of Christian thought at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. As I said, he's a dear friend. He's an outstanding church historian and scholar, and uh, he and I co-authored several books on Jonathan Edwards called The Essential Edwards Collection back in 2010, and just this very week we have released a book entitled The Essential Jonathan Edwards, which builds off of those original five volumes. Doug, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Great to be with you, Owen. Great to hear your voice again. Likewise. Uh, you know, this it's funny, I think, for both of us probably to be talking about you and me working on Edwards, because frankly, it was a, about a decade ago when we first started, and I don't know about you, I, I had no thought that uh, we would again be publishing more material on Edwards, reworking that older material and, and bringing it back out with Moody Publishers. But, uh, but God has given us that privilege. Can you just, can you walk people through first, first, how you came to be interested in Edwards and a, a, a renowned scholar of Edwards, and then secondly, how this particular book, The Essential Jonathan Edwards, came to be? Sure. Uh, I became interested in Jonathan Edwards for the first time while I was a student at Wheaton College in the mid-1980s. Uh, I began college as an econ major and was headed to law school. And then in my sophomore year of college, I took a Reformation history class with Mark Knoll that really God used to change my life and deepen my faith, like my faith had never been deepened before. And I was um, sort of caught off balance for a while, not sure what to do. I was just sure that God was using church history in a really helpful way for me personally and spiritually. And... Um, so I switched from being an economics major to being a history major at Wheaton so I could study more of the history of Christianity and the history of Christian thought. And because that transition of my life was such a personal one, you know, made mainly for reasons that had to do with my relationship with God uh, and not with much practicality, not much, with much thinking yet about how I was going to make a living as a history major. <laughs> Uh, I tended to gravitate towards classes and subjects in history that had the most to do with the shaping of my faith. And what that meant for me was that I gravitated toward classes in Reformation history and classes in modern evangelical history. And then I also became a student of Mark Knoll, and Mark loved, still does love, Jonathan Edwards. Mm -hmm. And I came to see that Edwards was a really great person to study if you're looking for a role model of a pastor, a theologian, a Christian, who combines the best of both of those two worlds, the best of the world of classical reformational Protestantism on the one hand, and what we've come to call modern evangelicalism on the other hand. So I kept studying uh, Edwards as time uh, allowed. Uh, I came to seminary with uh, an interest in deepening my faith even more, not exactly sure vocationally where I was headed, but became more interested in Edwards in seminary. Uh, I went to a secular university for my Ph.D., but had a professor there who loved Jonathan Edwards, 
and worked on him more there. I wound up writing a dissertation in grad school on another person, uh, a man named Nathaniel Taylor, who was the founding theologian at Yale Divinity School in the 1820s and who fancied himself something of an Edwardsian, but was a very controversial kind of Edwardsian. So even in my dissertation, though it wasn't about Edwards, I was still kind of connected to the study of Edwards. And then my first job uh, after I was done with school was at the Edwards Project at Yale University, where I worked full time every day of the week uh, on Edwards. And probably at that point, there was no turning back. I was going to be an Edwards guy. Okay. Uh, so that's how I got interested in Edwards. Mm -hmm. uh, this book project, wow, I mean, it's, there was kind of a long, circuitous route to the publication of uh, the five volumes initially with you, and then the new revised uh, edition in one volume uh, this year. I think early in 2008, a friend of ours named Dave DeWitt, who back then was an editor at Moody, who's now an editor at Crossway, approached me about doing an accessible uh, introduction to Edward's life and most important theological insights mm -hmm. uh, for regular Christians, for lay people, so that it wouldn't be another technical academic study of Edwards, but um, a sharing of the, the best fruit uh, from Edward's life and ministry uh, with Christians, people in the pews, pastors, and others who really are just interested in Edwards. And I had a lot of other stuff on my plate at that time, but I really wanted to do something like that. And I had this amazing, really bright uh, PhD student working with me at that time named Owen Strand, who uh, was also a very good writer, very good communicator. So after thinking and praying a little bit about it, I uh, sent Owen a note, said, hey, Owen, what do you think about helping me with this and doing it together? And uh, Owen was eager to uh, start writing and publishing things other than his dissertation, too. Mm -hmm. And so he said yes, and we got busy. Owen did more of the heavy lifting than I did, but it was a fun partnership and uh, the 2010 edition of this uh, project came in five short books, one on Jonathan Edwards, The Lover of God, that was sort of biographical, mm -hmm. one on uh, Edwards' view of beauty, which was a central theme in Edwards' Christian life and theology, and one that both Owen and I want Christians to recover today. Mm -hmm. Then a third brief book, uh, Edwards on the Good Life, a fourth book, Edwards on True Christianity, and a fifth book on Edwards on Heaven and Hell. And those five books were put in a box, and so you could buy them as a set or you could buy them separately. And I think uh, Moody Supplies, Edwards has become such a big deal, and so many people are interested in Edwards. And John Piper wrote a foreword for us that helped get people interested in Edwards. That's right. And all this culminated in a lot of sales, and I think they just ran out of books. And so uh, they contacted us again not too long ago, asking us to do a revised edition that they could reissue. That's a great summary. It, it's, uh, it was such a privilege to do that initial project with you and, and now to be publishing this newer revised work with you, The Essential Jonathan Edwards. I leaned very heavily on your expertise. I came to Trinity to do my Ph.D. under you and work at the Carl F.H. Henry Center for Theological Understanding, which you were then uh, leading. Um, but uh, but I could not have brought uh, nearly the scholarly acumen to the project that you could. I'd read some Edwards, read George Marsden and other books, loved Jonathan Edwards myself being from his his native New England. But uh, but you really provided the uh, scholarly architecture of the project 
and I set to to writing. We wrote those books uh, over not that many months in 2008 and 2009. And it was uh, it was a wild ride. Moody has told me recently, I think you know this as well, that they've sold tens of thousands of copies, far, far more than I think any of us ever thought possible. Um, but it's it's been such a delight to to work on Edwards in those respects. And you also have edited uh, switching tracks a little bit here, but but staying close to Edwards because we must stay close to him. You have also edited uh, a couple uh, of the works of Jonathan Edwards. Is that true with with Yale University Press? Yeah, that's right. Um, the first thing I did was co-edit a paperback edition of some of Edwards' best sermons uh, that could be sold cheaply and used as a textbook in classes about Jonathan Edwards, where the teachers wanted to expose students not just to his big, thick theological tomes, but to what he was like as a pastor and a preacher and what his sermons were like. And uh, that was released by Yale University Press in 1999. But then I was also commissioned to be the editor of one of the main volumes in the modern critical edition of the works of Jonathan Edwards published by Yale. And the volume that I edited was on uh, his miscellanies. Mm. There are actually four volumes of Edwards' miscellanies in the Yale edition, and mine is the fourth, uh, which covers the latter years of his life. Doug, why, why is Yale, why was Yale uh, so interested in Jonathan Edwards? How did the, the Yale Center come to be, and how is it that in the 21st century, when Yale doesn't retain a whole lot of connection to its evangelical past, the, the Edwards Center at Yale continues uh, to be so widely resourced and, and so vibrant as a center, though it's not, you know, uh, spiritual or evangelical in nature? Edwards went to Yale. He's a Yale alum, one of Yale's early alums. Yale was founded in 1701, and Edwards became a student there in 1716, so he's one of theirs. Yale also now has the vast majority of Edwards' papers, the manuscripts of Edwards, and there are lots of them, thousands and thousands of pages of Edwards' own manuscript material. But it was actually uh, an atheist who taught at Harvard who started Uh, the Edwards Project, and kind of shamed Yale into taking it over. There's a man named Perry Miller. Hmm. Perry Miller was probably the most important American intellectual historian of the 20th century. Hmm. Again, he was um, Jewish, but an atheist. Um, You know, people say he drank himself to death in the early 1960s. So he was not, you know, somebody you might expect who would be attracted to a theologian like Jonathan Edwards, but he was fascinated by the Puritans and Edwards, wrote a famous biography of Edwards, and it was his idea to publish a modern critical edition of the works of Edwards, and he's the one who talked colleagues at Yale uh, into doing the project, uh, basing it in New Haven, which is where Yale is, and getting it published by Yale University Press. It it. Yeah, that's that in itself, by the way, is worthy of a book. And I hope someone, perhaps yourself, perhaps others, maybe there's such a work in the in the in progress, will tell that story, you know, in full. Because I, I mean, the beginnings of the Yale-driven recovery, Miller-fired recovery of Edwards in the academic world, uh, really are too ironic almost to be believed. Uh, but yet. The Yale Center continues to be widely patronized and and used its resources today. And now there are multiple Jonathan Edwards centers all around the world, including one you lead right now at Trinity. Is that correct? That's right. 
And uh, just this year, we have another one that is opening in the United States uh, at a Southern Baptist uh, seminary in L.A. called Gateway Seminary. It used to be Golden Gate Seminary in San Francisco, but now they're in Ontario, California. They're starting one, too. So the West Coast Christians have a center for Edwards Studies as well. Well, that's exciting. You know, switching tracks from the academic interest in Edwards and, and uh, you know, I've seen, I remember you passing out in, in your doctoral class on Jonathan Edwards at Trinity, the book by M.X. Lesser, the uh, the bibliography of all writings on Edwards that uh, Lesser could compile and find. And uh, I, re- mm-hmm. I remember it being itself, like, I don't know, five, six hundred pages. And of course, the, the pages have only have only grown since then in terms of books about Edwards and on Edwards. So there's tons, tons of scholarly interest in Edwards today. But there's also a lot of interest in him at the pew level among lay people, among ordinary Christians like you and me. Why why do you think that persists even as, for example, you know, if you're still taking 11th grade English in many American public schools, uh, you're reading Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God— and you're you're getting probably in many cases a not too positive view, but yet there's this tremendous lay level interest in Edwards in the church and 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 even beyond. Why is that? Do you think? Oh, I think there are lots of reasons why. I mean, one of the most obvious reasons why Edwards is attractive to so many regular Christians is that um, he was such a faithful, edifying person uh, in the mm-hmm. pulpit. Uh, when he wrote books and essays. Um, I say this every time I think now that I teach a class on Jonathan Edwards, and I, I've decided it really must make me sound like a church history geek, but I, I say, you know, Edwards is such an edifying person to spend time with. You know, obviously he's with the Lord in heaven now. He's, he's not somebody who's actually physically next to me, and I'm not spending time with him in a normal way. But um, as you read him, as you think about his world, as you read biographies of him, you just get the sense of him as um, obviously a big sinner, not a, not a spotless saint, yes. but somebody who knew the Lord so well and thought uh, and prayed so deeply and carefully about how best to communicate divine truth, the things of the Bible, to people. And God answered his prayers and used Edwards like very few other people in the history of the Church to help regular people like us to grow in our faith. That's right. Edwards Edwards offers us such a big God in his writings. He does set out the horrors of hell in his writings, but he especially gives attention to the beauty of heaven, the glory of heaven. That's something that has, has stood out to me when I have tried to do my small part to expose students to the writing and thinking of Jonathan Edwards. I teach an elective here at Midwestern Seminary on Edwards, and one of the things that students regularly say, I don't know if you hear this too, Doug, in your teaching, but uh, students are struck by how much he talks about eternity, the afterlife, both heaven and hell, but also especially about how he motivates Christians uh, through a, a big understanding of God's grace to set their eyes on heaven and even to see heavenly rewards coming into view. Do you think that's that's been true in your own experience, that, that students are getting a new uh, appreciation <laughs> Uh, it's a funny word to use when talking about heaven, but a new appreciation of heaven and heavenly glories for the Christian? Definitely. Uh, to put this in academic theological terms, Edwards had 
a marvelous eschatological perspective on our daily lives as Christians. He was always thinking about his pastoral ministry and our daily Christian activity and daily lives in relation to God's eternal plan for us and our eternal destiny. Mm. And why that it, it can thrill your heart. It can scare you sometimes, too, because uh, Edwards was reminding people all the time that they were going to go meet the Lord, there was going to be a real judgment day, we are going to be held account. Um, but the real positive part of that inspiration is that it, it gives people an elevated appreciation for the eternal significance of their most mundane activities day by day. Edwards is so good at reminding us of those things, and I think that's why lots of people, lay people, and even pastors, are very attracted to him. That's right. It's too bad to me that um, a good number of people do only read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in terms of what Jonathan Edwards actually produced. Uh, some seminary students are going to read you know, a few of his treatises, perhaps his, his work on the religious affections. I would argue, and I would argue this in part because of my training under you, that uh, many of the sermons that Edwards produced are actually bearing gold for the church, but are not going to be read in many cases. If you had, and this is a this is a bad question to ask someone like yourself who's always reading Edwards, but if you had three sermons to recommend to you know a, a lay Christian person, a normal Christian person, you and me, um, what three sermons would you recommend that they probably have not encountered that will? that will touch on these themes that we're discussing here? Well, you're right. That's a hard question, but I'll give you an answer anyway, because this is an interview and I have to answer your questions. Um, <laughs> if I could pick three and ask everybody listening to this to read those three, I think I would say start with Edward's sermon on Hebrews 5.12 mm. called The Importance and Advantage of a Thorough Knowledge of Divine Truth. Mm. That's a funny thing to say because it sounds like a long, ponderous title. It doesn't sound like a catchy thing that you'll have fun reading. But it's a sermon about how important it is that all of us, no matter uh, who we are, no matter how long we've known the Lord, uh, it's about the importance of all of us growing in our faith and our knowledge of God by just living in His Word and studying Him by reading the Bible. Then the second one I think I'd recommend uh, was a sermon he preached on um, Jesus' response to Peter's confession that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, from Matthew 16. Uh, the title of the sermon is called A Divine and Supernatural Light, mm. and it's all about what the Holy Spirit does to us and in us when we're spiritually regenerated and indwelled by him. Uh, it's about the way he illumines our minds as we read Scripture. It's about the ways in which he captivates our hearts with the things of God. It's just a really powerful—it's kind of serious, theological, meaty content, but it's for everybody, mm -hmm. and it's about the difference the Holy Spirit makes in our daily lives. And then I think probably the third one I'd recommend uh, was a sermon that Edwards preached on John's vision in Revelation 5, uh, where no one is able to open the scroll— uh, in the hand of God the Father in the throne room, uh, and John starts to weep, uh, but then it's pointed out to him that there is one who's able to open the throne, and it's um, someone who at one time looks like the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and at another time looks like a lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And so Edwards spends the bulk of his sermon called The Excellency of Christ from Revelation 5, 
talking about how wonderful it is that in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have someone who is both strong and mighty to save us like the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and somebody who bore our sins patiently uh, as a perfect sacrifice, uh, like the perfect lamb uh, who was slain for the sins of the world. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is both of those things. He's both uh, our sacrifice, he's both somebody who can sympathize with us in our weakness, and he has somebody with the strength, the eternal strength, as the eternal Son of God, to help us through our weakness. It's just this beautiful, it's like Edwards is rhapsodizing on the glorious nature of the uh, person of Jesus Christ. Mm. Oh, I love all three of them. We cover all three of them in uh, the Essential Jonathan Edwards, our co-authored book, out this week. But I remember um, in my own journey being at the U.S. Department of State, and I wanted to read some theology while I was an intern there before I went to do my MDiv. And so I don't remember why. I think it was because John Piper had come to uh, to D.C. to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, where I was a member, and preached on the 300th anniversary of Edwards' uh, birth in, in 2003 and had recommended— Edwards's material, so I got a hold of The Excellency of Christ, which I'd never read in full before, and on my lunch break, I would read like a page a day very slowly, and I, I think I will forever in my lifetime remember that as one of the sweetest seasons of spiritual growth for me, because I'd never heard anyone present Christ in, in that kind of way with the, I think what uh, Edwards calls the admirable conjunction of excellencies that are in Christ. Um, so, so that is an absolutely explosive one, I think, for forming your understanding of Christ and also your own personal spirituality. Yeah. Edwards is somebody who was especially gifted at helping people to see and hear and feel and taste the goodness and beauty of divine truth. You know, he, he, sometimes yes. I say he was good at making it real for people, but that's the wrong way to say it, because of course it's, it's real whether or not we see it and taste it. But Edwards had this special gift that I I try to make rub off on the pastors in training at, at uh, seminary for making the Bible come alive, making divine truth so real for people that it's like they can reach out and touch it just as much as they can reach out and touch the physical things that uh, saturate their everyday world. Mm. Very well said. Last question I want to ask you about is Edwards as a pastor theologian. That's something that you uh, really sparked my interest in again, um, uh, in terms of your 2008 book, I believe it was, Jonathan Edwards and the Ministry of the Word. Um, you talk about Edwards as a pastor theologian. I gleaned that concept from you and have and really have just loved it ever since. Uh, what would you say to the future seminarian um, who is thinking about this model of the pastor theologian in an American context in the modern era and is, is drawn to it? Uh, what would you say about Edwards as a as a pastor-theologian? Well, there's lots of things that one could say. If I was going to say just one thing, though, I would say that um, Edwards shows us that pastors can be exceptionally fruitful in ministry Hmm. as they trust that the Bible and the gospel have inherent power to do in our lives and in our world what Scripture says they do. So that if we really are faithful, if we really do trust in God and His Word, um, God will do amazing things by the power of His Spirit through the ministry of the Word. Uh, We're tempted so often in ministry to try to make something happen on our own, to manufacture fruit and success 
in ministry in so many other ways than simply by uh, faithfully opening and proclaiming and helping people to see the reality and the beauty of the contents that God has already given us in Holy Scripture. Amen. Very well said. Well, I, Doug, I really appreciate your, your thoughtful answers here and the conversation. I'm so thankful for your friendship and your ministry at Trinity School. I'm grateful for my, or my PhD from there under you, and uh, I pray God's richest blessings on you. Thankful for this project we've gotten to get out once more, and uh, thank you for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you, Owen, for all the leadership you're providing these days. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the Center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today.